there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yes, the doctor may be in, but his voice may not be. So let's we'll, let's see what happens. What couldn't happen to a per, more perfect on a perfect night when Super Don and RSB are about, almost asleep, uh-huh. and Doctor Bitar is here for some advanced medicine, but he left his voice in Omaha or where somewhere. <laughs> Welcome, my friend. You just want me to croak like a frog, right? Yeah, I know. We we do need the little the little froggy voice. Uh, and and it's it's kind of sexy, so people, you know, the women will be calling up, and uh, uh, your wife will be nervous, but we'll be okay. We'll monitor things. But eight six six nine three nine two three five five, if you want to call in. Yeah, my wife said that she liked my voice like this. I got to figure out how I got to keep it now like this. <laughs> how do you keep it like that? Well, if we keep you talking, we're going to keep it like that. That's for sure. So good luck to all of us in the second hour of the Robert Scott Bell Show. This is when we do the Medical Rewind Advanced Medicine on Mondays. And you can, if you ever miss an episode, you'll hear it. And that's the one thing your wife can do is just listen to this episode after it's over, over and over again, because she'll hear that croaky, sexy 976 Dr. Batar voice. <laughs> What's a 976 thing? You don't remember those? Those like one nine hundred numbers. They used to be like late night TV call. Now, big boy, one nine hundred, and you can you know you can talk with hot chicks. These were the things they did infomercials at night to get you to call up, and you were talking to somebody's grandma who's been smoking for eighty years. Hi, honey. Hey, Don. Hey, Don. This is the sound. This is sound like Robert has a little too much information about this. Yeah, I think I think he may have had some really uh, large phone bills back in the day. I, I didn't know I was calling grandma. <laughs> No, it was all the comedy shows. It, it, anyway, yes, there were some funny things. So we always talk about that, the verbascum voice, by the way. That's homeopathic verbascum is the most indicated remedy when you have that gravelly voice or the 1-900 voice. Uh, if, you, if you like it, don't take any verbascum because it'll go away fast. Uh, but I didn't know, Dr. Batar and I hadn't talked prior to the show as usual, and so I didn't know to tell him that. So anyway, we'll, we'll carry on. There's some good stories that we can cover. I don't know which one's jumping out the most for you, but we'll go any which but, way you want. You- before you do that, the verbascum, just out of curiosity, does that actually do anything from besides a, a functional change? Does it actually do anything from a anti-infective slash, um, you know, drainage type solution to, or no? Is it just I mean, for the sinuses, for the upper respiratory, or is it just the... Well, it's, yeah, it, it seems to impact the nerves of the vocal cord as well as the vocal cord itself. But as it is with any homeopathy, they don't know the mechanism of action to describe. Is it anti-infective? I would probably say no because it's not having a, a physical effect in the same way because it's still it's homeopathic medicine. But the impact on, on you know the metabolism, the impact on the function of that area, and that particularly the indication of that gravelly voice seems to respond most of all the homeopathic remedies I've used over the years to that one single remedy called verbascum, which is known as mullein, M-U-L-L-E-I-N. Verbascum, of course, the Latin name as we use in homeopathy. Got it. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Because we know about mullein oil and things. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. evidently, if you've got too much of that, it would cause your throat to have the very same symptoms that the homeopathic remedy would tend to reverse. 
So there you uh, go, a little okay. homeopathic education tonight on advanced medicine. Advanced homeopathic medicine. There you go. Yeah, very good. So we got the daily statin uh, use may raise your risk of cataracts. That's one story I think would be cool to cover. I was asking you on the break, Dr. Vitar, really? Do doctors really still prescribe statins? I'm still I'm scratching my head. How could that be? Well, I think that <clears throat> currently it's still thought of bad medicine if you're not prescribing statin drugs. Even the so-called alternative integrative doctors still prescribe statin drugs, and I think a lot of that is more CYA than anything else because if this person has a heart attack and a doctor took them off a statin drug, they could be potentially liable whereas if they were on a statin drug, even though that may have induced the heart attack, cause other problems or, you know, liver cancer or the cataracts or whatever the other side effects of the statin drugs are, well, you're practicing the standard of care, so you're covered. It doesn't matter if somebody dies or many people die, it doesn't matter because you're doing what the herd mentality has uh, rubber stamped and said it's acceptable. So I think a lot of doctors are probably still using it because of that reason. In my clinic for, mm-hmm. gosh, since 1998 now, 19, yeah, 1998, 1999, mm-hmm. so 15 plus years, um, if uh, any of my colleagues, another doctor that may be working with me as I've had over the couple of years and over the past years and or, and or my uh, nurse practitioners PAs, if they prescribe a statin drug, that's grounds for being um, fired. Terminated? Would you fire them? Yeah. yeah. It, yeah you know, it's interesting. You said, Dr. Batari, if somebody, uh, you know, a medical doctor pulled somebody off a statin drug and then they had some kind of heart attack or something related to that, that they could be gone after because they violated some kind of sort of standard of care. But if they were on the statin drug and the statin drug actually caused the congestive heart failure, there'd be no problem. Absolutely. And this is the reason that when people come to us for treatment, we always do our own physical. And I always like to say, even people say, hey, it's, uh, you know, I just had a physical done last week or last month. Um, I tell them, well, that's, you know, that's great. It's not that we don't trust anybody else. We just don't trust anybody else. And, <laughs> like, you know, like what, what do these other doctors doing physicals miss often when you're giving them a physical they, they didn't see? Well, yeah, it's, and that's a good, that's a good question. I actually had nurse, my nurse practitioner, Jane, tell mm-hmm. me that she had a patient that she treat, um, basically the physical on a couple months ago. And the husband was there present while she was in the physical. She didn't know it at the time, but he ended up being a ER doctor. And afterwards, you know, comment and said to her, that's the most thorough physical I've ever seen. And Jane does the physical exactly how I want the physical done. And, and I've had those type of comments made to me in the past. I, I, Jane has been doing all my physicals the last six, seven years. But what's interesting is that the the reason that we started this whole um, process, this, this standard in our office, our methodology has become very consistent over the last decade, or decade and a half. And that was because I had an incident of a patient that came to my office uh, that was referred to me by a general surgeon, actually, locally. And um, the patient had not been seen by the general surgeon, but the general surgeon had treated the patient's wife before she had died. The patient called the general surgeon, you know, saying that oh, I'm having this problem. And he said, well, you know, you need to go find your primary care doctor. Yeah, the patient went to the primary care doctor and had a physical done and was told that there was a hernia present. And so he called the surgeon again, and the surgeon had not seen the patient, but said basically, you know, you need to come in and we can, we'll uh, go ahead and repair the hernia. And the patient told the doctor, the surgeon, 
I want to approach this from a holistic perspective, uh, a non-surgical perspective, and so, you know, what do I do or what, what do you recommend? So, of course, the surgeon's a surgeon. Again, he never saw the patient, so it wasn't his issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had, he knew of me. We had, we had you know, we talked before. I'd sent him some patients. He helped me out with some patients. And he had had some personal experience with what we do, had seen some of the patients. So he afterwards told me, he said, I just, you know, I just told him to come check, go, go check you out. So the patient comes to us, and uh, I start working him up. Well, when it comes to the physical, the patient doesn't want the physical. Why? Well, because he just had a physical done by his primary care doctor. And that's what, you know, that's why he knew he had the hernia. And I kept him telling us, I'm sorry, you know, we have to redo it. No, that is not fair. I just had it done. I just paid for it came down to the fact that he'd already paid for a physical, and that's why he didn't want to have another one done. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I still do the physical, I just won't charge you for it. How's that? He was very happy with that. So, okay, you physical. can do it then, All right. Right, we, we did the physical, and the bottom line is, and long and the short of the story is, that on the physical, I found this guy, have he had a large mass, about a 8 by 10 centimeter mass in his abdomen, that the other primary care doctor had diagnosed as a hernia, whereas in fact it was a solid tumor. Wow. It was not a hernia. And I called the surgeon, because the surgeon never saw the patient, so I called him and you know told the patient that he needs to follow up with the surgeon because this guy's got a massive cancer. And uh, of course that's what he ended up having. He never came to us for treatment for cancer, but uh, that's that's how you know this whole thing started. And right. you have to remember that in this world, if somebody's taking homeopathic, homeopathic for an example, he's mm-hmm. got some kind of condition or she's got some kind of condition, and she starts taking a homeopathic or you know or some type of a natural substance or one of our treatments or whatever it is, and there's some type of a deleterious uh, effect that takes place, they're automatically going to blame it on my treatment or the homeopathic. Yeah, you're right. The, I, I, I've I've seen that, Doctor Batar. You know, I've done a lot of consulting for our friends at Natural Immunogenics over the years, and. Uh, you know, where they have, and this is true of all the dietary supplement industry, like they call this adverse event reporting. They have it for drugs, but they have it for supplements too. And so if there's an issue, like a woman who's pregnant, uh, she may be on a medicine prescribed for her doctor that may be contraindicated for pregnancy, but she also happens to be taking a vitamin supplement of some kind and something happens. Immediately they're going to go after the supplement. Exactly right. It's exactly right. And people don't understand that built-in bias that we have, in, even in the judicial system, that comes back to haunt the good docs that are doing the right thing or even the good supplement companies that aren't harming anyone. So uh, that uh, is another some interesting pro- thing. Some of our product line that we had in the past before we closed down the lab, the transdermals, um, and those that, those that don't know the background, I won't bother, and those that do know the background know what the solutions mm-hmm. are now. Well, you already know what the solutions are, so I won't get into all those details. But on the back of the warnings, we always had, uh, do not take if pregnant. And people used to ask me all the time, well, what happens if you take it pregnant? I said, absolutely nothing, but we put it on there because if somebody's pregnant, we don't want them to take it because if there is, God forbid, some kind of adverse effect, they're going to blame it on this. So just don't right. take it. And that way, yet we know that like the trans used to get many people, you know, people that were that wanted to get pregnant, that couldn't get pregnant when they started trans That's one of the, that was one of the things. People got pregnant mm-hmm. because... It brought their hormones into balance. But once they were pregnant, we <clears throat> recommended that the, they stop the trans Why? Well, very simple, because if, God forbid, there is something that's, that happens that's not um, you know, positive, they will blame it on anything that they don't know, they don't understand automatically. The, the unknown gets what's worse. Right. So exactly. for all, all our patients that come in with chest pain, with a history of chest pain, with a history of 
uh, high blood pressure with a history of any kind of cardiac issue, before we start any type of IV treatment, we always get a baseline EKG, always. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how many times we've seen anomalies on the EKG on baseline. We start their treatment, and sure enough, the anomalies go away. But God forbid, had we not done those baseline studies, and I've had this happen twice in the actual case, where patient had an adverse effect, and we were able to show that here's the baseline EKG, and here's the EKG after we start our treatment, and the EKG after we start our treatment shows an improvement compared to the baseline. But they try to blame it on the treatment. Right, exactly. Well, listen, we're doing some advanced medicine. Uh, Dr. Batar's voice is holding up so far so good because uh, we're hanging on by a thread tonight with the pace we've all been on. Stick around, 866-939-2355, medicalrewind.com if you ever miss an episode with Dr. Batar. And, of course, many other places to listen. More on the statin drug connection. Also, I got a story going back to 1999 that resurfaced as well. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. still here. Rashid Batar, Dr. Batar's voice is still hanging on as well, so we'll carry on. We'll carry on. I want to talk more about the, the statin relationship to uh, cataracts as well. And also, Super Don, remind me, if we come back at the bottom of the hour, we're still here. I do want to do a follow-up story on a story. Since Dr. Batar went back to 1998-99, I need to as well. I think it's a kind of a cool follow-up that I just heard. So uh, just remind me of that. We'll bring that up. But Dr. Batar, again, as, as absurd as, is, as it is to keep prescribing these statin drugs, as you said, it's a CYA medicine. The docs, if they don't do it and something happens, they're in trouble. If they do it and something happens, they're fine. And it's just so bizarre this type of medicine is still going on. It's still the mainstay of America. It is, and it probably will be for a long time just because not only just in medicine but pretty much in all industry, it's the same type of uh standards cover your rare end standard as opposed mm-hmm. to doing what's the right thing and what's the best for the client, patient, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, this thing with the statin drugs is the entire premise upon which this is based of this reduction of uh, the lipids, and, and that's the reason the statin drugs are being prescribed. If you look at the original studies that were done that showed the reason to bring the lipids down, those studies actually talked about how it was all related to the triglycerides and not the cholesterol, mm-hmm. but yet everything kind of went into cholesterol, triglycerides, lipids, everything. They kind of bundled it all in. The second thing is when they did the statin studies, they showed actually that there was one very essential component that needed to be included with those statin drugs, and that was ubiquinone, which is uh, coenzyme Q10 found in the mitochondria of all cells necessary for cell respiration. And the reason it was included with everybody, with uh, all the and all the studies, was because when you use statin drugs without ubiquinone, the statin drugs decrease the normal endogenous levels of uh, of coenzyme T10 in the body, and that causes muscle fatigue and causes all sorts of other deleterious effects to take place. So they knew that the statin drugs, the side effect, caused a decrease in the ubiquinone levels, and so the studies were conducted with the ubiquinone present. But once the drugs came to market, the ubiquinone was no longer added and was conveniently forgotten because there was no profit in it. There was, the, the ubiquinone, the coins of detail, was so expensive for them to include it in the statin drugs, they just decided to drop that part, and they just started giving people this drug, which has been one of the 
worst things that you can do to the human population because there's a direct correlation with increase in not only um, problems that are associated with muscle fatigue and such, but a lot of the Mervacore, the low pitch people complain all the time, body aches, arm aches, shoulder aches, leg pain, fatigue, but also liver cancer, very high incidence of liver cancer that's found in people that are on statin drugs. So then you look at the most recent studies done in the last five to 10 years that show that cardiovascular disease has nothing to do with the lipid levels, the, the triglyceride levels, cholesterol levels. They found it directly related to the insulin levels, hyperinsulinia. Mm-hmm. And they've already tried to address this issue with why is it that half the people that have high cholesterol, high triglycerides, have no evidence of cardiovascular disease. They have no blockage anyway. They're completely clean vessels. And half the people that have blockage that have atherosclerosis that have cardiovascular disease when you work them up they have normal lipid levels they don't have high triglycerides and cholesterol so there's it really shows that it has nothing to do with the cholesterol triglycerides this is again a made-up issue and we're treating a made-up illusion it's it's all Mm -hmm. a facade but you know if you want to really correlate the incidence of heart disease with cholesterol. Well, look at bears. Bears have a normal cholesterol six, seven hundred. When was the last time you ever heard of a bear having a heart attack? Yeah, and yours up higher than that. Uh, my personal? Yeah. Yeah, you know, my personal um, you know, is over 2,000 and I took uh, statin drugs for my, my last year in medical school before I knew what the heck they were and I started having all sorts of problems with muscle fatigue and I stopped and I've never touched it again and my, my lipid levels were so high that when you drew blood on me, the top one-fifth of the tube, the test tube, would have a white layer where the hmm. lipids would form. It was that high. Incredible. And, but the uh, thing is, you, you will never get Alzheimer's, my friend. You will never have cognitive decline or dementia. You've got too much good insulating healthy fat in you. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's funny. I, I don't show, I haven't had any formation of that layer of white, milky, you know, lipids on the top of my test tubes when I've had blood drawn in the last probably 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And the way that it was controlled was with uh, exercise mm-hmm. and with, uh, you know, choosing choosing the right type of diet, which is reduced the simple carbohydrates. And that's basically it. Exercise is how I've maintained it. Yeah, and, and going, going clean. That's right. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. Also, let's see, I got a story to tell. 1999 going back. A pre-med student. Not even pre-med yet. It's an interesting history there. We're going to cover that and more with Dr. Batar after this break. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Robert, Robert. he is tenacious, isn't he? Scott, he's a brave and a decent man. He's a pioneer. This message must be read in every newspaper, heard on every radio, seen on every television. The Robert Scott Scott Belgium. Yes, here once again with Dr. Batar and almost his voice. (laughs) And Super Don on the board making it sound good up there. And also GCN, our syndicator, if you want to call in, 866 Nine three nine two three five five. Even if you don't call in live, you can leave a message, and we can respond to you on the air or confidentially. If you don't want your name said, just say so. That's fine. Unless you're Sherazad, then we will say your name. <laughs> Dar, a good friend out there. 
Um, there's an interesting story I want to get in with you, into you with uh, this uh, Alzheimer's prevention, on, I think, on CNN's website. The first thing is improve your GI health, which is not surprising to you or me. It's surprising that it's on a CNN story. But it reminds me, Dr. Batara, way back in 1999 when I met this teenager who came to see me for help, a teenager who had already been through uh, gastroenterologists and then colorectal surgeons, and he was wearing a colostomy bag. He was like 17, almost 18 years old, young kid, uh, Iranian family, very nice man, and young man, and was just desperate. He was on Cipro. He was on Ciprofloxacin every day because they couldn't control, you know, he still had loose stools. It just was horrible. And so we addressed it homeopathically and with other things in, in my arsenal, so to speak, to correct it. And he was able to have form stools. He was cool after that, and he was off the Cipro. But he obviously never forgot that. Now, he was at Emory University, or about to go to Emory, and he wanted to be a medical doctor, which reminded me of myself because I went to Emory. But pretty soon after my freshman year, I was so disgusted with what the modern medical doctors did to me for the previous 18 years that I said, I can't do this. This, I, this would make me miserable. Now, I, I would not begrudge anyone, like you've said your daughter wanted to go into medicine, if their heart is set on it and if their bliss is there to do that. I would just encourage them not to be blinded or programmed out of reality in their heart and this kid was impacted significantly he went on to be a doctor and i just got an email from him i guess he's not a kid anymore and he writes to me he was like he graduated from stanford medical school went there for residency evidently and now he's out in palo alto doing a mind body health practice as a physician and i i think this would be a great follow-up story to talk to him how he survived medicine because he he couldn't be blinded because the experience was so profound with homeopathy and other things that he had going into medical school, Dr. Batar. So I think I remember you talking about this before, a couple of years ago, about four years, five years ago, you had mentioned this in the past, but I didn't know that, um, you know, he's a physician. Now. So that, that would be kind of a cool... A really cool follow uh, And that's what, you know, when you said yeah. I'm going back to 9899, suddenly my mind went there, and I remembered he just sent an email out of the blue just to say, hi... I don't know if you remember me. It's like if he knew, I'd talk about his, the, that story from time to time because it was such a, 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 a really an important moment for me to really strengthen my resolve to go, you know, dig, dig, dig on, on gut health issues. You know, that's why I lecture on it all the time. I'm always open to innovating in that way to accelerate the health recovery because I, I just don't want to see any more kids, much less adults, butchered on by colorectal surgeons. Right, and I think that, you know, in – in their defense, and again, you know, I don't defend doctors, but in their defense, they don't really, they don't even understand what's going on. So in their world, they're doing the best thing. No, oh, well, they're, they're just the end all. stage. It's after the gastroenterologist, right. have, have re, they're the ones really doing right. the butchering. Let's be straight about it. Exactly. Antibiotics, prednisone, exactly. whatever drugs. By the time exactly. the colorectal surgeon, you know, like, what are we going to do? You've destroyed the kid's yeah. gut. we got to do something, right? So, yeah, I, right. I take that's your exactly point. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the point that, I always want to make because it's Savison's textbook of surgery, which is the gold standard um, Bible for general surgeons. In the very first chapter, one of the most profound things that I read, and I mean, mm -hmm. this is like a book that's the size of two telephone books, right? Right. And uh, I still have my textbook, my, my my first two versions of that book that I had. And you just, you know, once you, it's kind of like a security blanket type thing, you know, even though right, I've been right. surgery and we'll have it in years. But the very first chapter in there, he actually makes a statement that is so profound, and he says that surgery is the ultimate admission of defeat. He says mm -hmm. that surgery, anybody can do the surgery. What really makes a surgeon is the pre- and post-operative care. But it 
remember that when you got a cut on the body, you have you have accepted the fact that all other options have been um, they've been explored, and there's nothing further that can be done. And that's why surgery is the last resort. Right. But very, uh, and, and the ultimate, and you said it, and he said it right. The ultimate admission of defeat. Uh, and, and it doesn't, again, your point is taken. They're coming in to rescue a, a disastrous situation, but uh, the colorectal surgeon is not schooled in what the gastroenterologist could have done differently or none at all, exactly. and the homeopath could have done to prevent it or the herbal, you know, you know that whole thing. And, and it's, it's actually something that goes not just to gastroenterology and mm-hmm. or the gastrointestinal surgeons. You see this actually in all aspects of medicine. I mean, I'm a perfect example of somebody who has a surgically trained, and I, I don't believe in any invasive component of the body. Um, I have a friend of mine who actually sat on my board for American Board of uh, Clinical Mental Toxicology, and he's a vascular surgeon, and he practices in Tennessee. And, um, he, you know, he's another example of somebody who does no surgery anymore, but he's done over 10,000 vascular cases. But now he treats everybody with chelation because he's seen the difference. Now, the point, the reason I'm bringing this up is because when you understand how the body works, you understand that when you start correcting processes with mechanical means, mm-hmm. um, it can be life-saving, as you said, in certain situations, in trauma situations, and in situations where there's an iatrogenic component where you know, other doctors have created all sorts of issues. But you got to remember, like when you're dealing with a, with a vascular tree, for example, with the blockage yeah. of a vascular um, area, you've got 60 to 65,000 miles of blood vessel in the body. Right. And whatever process is affecting that, that vascular tree, it's not just affecting one or two or three feet, it's affecting whatever it's affecting that area where you have your symptoms, whether it's the carotids or the the uh, coronary arteries or the peripheral vascular uh, vasculature, wherever it is it's affecting, it's affecting the whole tree. You're just seeing the manifestations in those areas. So around areas of bifurcation, about turbulent flow, you're going to see an accumulation of some of this aphroma, the, the clot that's forming there. Mm-hmm. But what you have to remember is that you cannot take a chemical process and correct it with a mechanical means because that chemical process is affecting all 65,000 miles of the blood vessels whereas that mechanical means is only going to crack 6 inches, 12 inches, maybe 2 feet of that vascular tree. So by definition, you cannot correct a chemical process with a mechanical means. You mm-hmm. must treat it with a chemical process, and that's one reason we do bending the things. And when we t- you know, the homeopaths, for example, nutritional, whatever we're doing, the detoxification IVs that we use, we are using chemical processes to correct those chemical problems. Yeah, and that, the, the, from the physical obstruction. Yeah, that's created. So anyway, yeah, that, I just that's, that's applicable though, Robert. Not just to the vascular. Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as an example. The sure, gastrointestinal sure. system, the same thing. It's yeah. a chemical process that's affecting the gut. You cannot go in there and remove a portion of the gut and expect that chemical process to be altered. All you're going to do is go in there and you're going to take out the worst part of that gut. But that mm-hmm. process that started. Wherever it started, wherever it started, that caused that worst part of the gut to not be there that you to cut it out. It's still right. affecting the rest of the gut. Well, and which explains can't be that you're going. Yeah. The solution can't be that you're going to keep on going in and you know in and mm-hmm. out, in and out, and just removing more and more of the gut. Obviously, that's not going to work. No, they it couldn't. I mean, that's why they were at their desperate straits, last ditch effort when they came to see me, or he did, or his family, you know, found out about me and. 
uh, you know, what I was doing was addressing the same thing that they didn't correct from the beginning. They just happen to now have an external bag instead of a colon. But, you know, by correcting it, we were able to restore function to what was left. And therefore, he wasn't, didn't have to rely on those chemicals from Big Pharma, from the doctor, and which is great. And it's just an amazing story, and I can't wait to talk to him, hopefully even on the air, if he's willing to go on the air and talk about the story. That would be a great, great follow-up. Now, I do want to talk about this Alzheimer's story on CNN, because this, this is a shocker, because I'm looking through the seven things that they say to fight or prevent Alzheimer's. I want your comment on them while we have time to do so. The first one, as we said, is the GI health. They're talking about improving your gut health, eat fermented foods, probiotics, uh, and, and, and that's, I mean, what am I going to say? I can't argue that. That's a great way to prevent all. That's one way. It's not the only way, but that's one. Uh, but the second one goes to fasting, intermittent fasting. They're actually listing intermittent fasting here. They listed address your gut health and fast? Yeah, and then, yeah, the intermittent fasting, they actually, which, of course, we know it's impacting on the glycemic issues, the insulin issues as well. Uh, it, it's it's pretty interesting how they're describing fasting as one way as a preventive kind of appro- approach, which is like I said, I'm looking, the first two are not drugs. None of these seven are drugs, and I'm just stunned by it as I'm reading this with you. Yeah, I mean, um, that's that's fantastic. Because I, I've, I have long um, felt that fasting is a great component of uh, maintaining health. In fact, I haven't done it in a couple of years, and I can really feel the difference. But yeah, fasting mm-hmm. is phenomenal yeah the third one is dha supplements like dha uh essential fats for brain and nervous system health strengthening your synapses they say i mean so far so good so far so good you're you're gonna like this one reduce heavy metal toxicity (laughs) what are you kidding me they actually mentioned mercury this is i don't even know who the author of this story is it just says cnn uh, and we've got to find out. Super Don, if you could figure out who the author of this one, this is just stunning. They actually mention mercury, although they, they really only focus on it in tuna, but they do say, yes, exposure to heavy metals associated with dementia, uh, cognitive decline. Uh, they also mention aluminum. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I, I tell you, it's just an interesting article here. Then they say cut out inflammatory foods, overeating grains, not a good thing. High yeah, so, sugar, so not a good thing. Yeah, this is impressive. So like, what happened to CNN? Somebody went to sleep. Uh, oh, speaking uh, of sleep. A little twi- Twilight Zone thing going on here. Yeah. Number six on the list. Not, we know it's not April Fool's Day, and we also know no. that we've talked about how the collective consciousness is becoming more and more aware, so there we go. Yeah, and I said about getting more sleep. That, that This is number seven, get more sleep. Oh, shit. That's the wrong word. <laughs> you said sugar. You said sugar. Uh, numbers, and number seven, the seventh thing on the list, balance your hormones. Yeah. Cortisol. They mentioned cortisol. I can't agree with it uh, any more than, than, than I, I mean, already do. One thing that is interesting, that they, they mentioned how to balance with hormones, because if, they, if you think about balancing hormones and you try to rebalance hormones with other hormones, you're never going to do it. In yeah. fact, that they could have actually eliminated that seventh one because if you do the first six, your hormones yeah. are going to, by default, start getting balanced. Too right, too right, Dr. Batar. Exactly, because, they, yeah, they, they talk about replacement therapy. That's where they fall down. So, we, so it is still CNN. They fell down on the seventh one, but pretty good, one through six, not bad. 
All right, we got another segment. Super Don, you'll have to tell us what we're going to do. We're still here, amazingly. I'm still standing, and Dr. Batar's voice is still hanging in there. MedicalRewind.com if you ever miss a show. RobertScottBell.com. Say thanks to all our wonderful sponsors that make this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty possible. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. All right, whatever you do, don't let your man read European neuropsychopharmacology. Because if they do, they might be slipping their women low-dose Prozac to address their PMS. Not kidding. Scientists now believe that low doses of antidepressants may prevent PMS in women. Is this, is this for real? Is this serious, Dr. Batar? What says the literature or what say you? Well, first of all, when a woman's going through PMS, it's not a very pleasant uh, experience obviously they're having a physiological change that's quite significant their endometrium is sloughing off you know, hormones are going through a huge shift so yes they're in pain there's an inflammatory cascade going on and sure I'm, I'm sure that they're depressed a little bit down under the weather mm-hmm. but to treat that with antidepressants well you know if you, if you really think about it then give them you know you might as well just give them crack cocaine or amphetamines or whatever other type of recreational drug or get them drunk. I mean, the stupidest thing that I've ever heard, give somebody an antidepressant and cause those type of problems. Um, give them alcohol if you want to give them anything. But here's the thing. If there really was a solution yeah. for women to help them with their PMS, it wouldn't just help women. It would help everybody because if mama's happy, everybody's <laughs> yes, happy. Yes, right? yes, yes. This would be something that everybody should be jumping on. But, no, we can't endorse Prozac for PMS. We will not. Uh, you know, they, they, there's too much. There's so many dangers with that drug, and they don't even know from person to person to person how that person will interact. Hence the, you know, suicidal tendencies, ideations, behaviors are brought out. Maybe not so much in low doses. I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of case where you see, like, in the era of AIDS when they went, you know, hog wild with that dangerous chemotherapy drug, AZT, and it killed everybody. And then they lowered the dose, and they said, oh, look, they're living longer. It must be the AZT. All they did was reduce its toxicity by reducing the dose. Basically, they're giving a little less toxicity of Prozac at a lower dose here. Yeah, uh, and to say that, you know, a lower dose is safe is like saying a lower amount of poison is safe or a lower amount of spark that causes the fire is safe, well, the, the result is going to be the same fire. The poison is still going to cause the same problem. It doesn't take that much poison to shut down a whole system. So, yes, the Prozac, you know, somebody, anybody who's going to take any type of drug like Prozac or any of the antidepressants for that matter, they need to read a book called Prozac, Panacea, or Pandora and learn the history behind these drugs. And these drugs were created from the uh, the, the same basic formula as the, uh, is it the angel dust, the LSD? Well, certainly LSD. the uh, the uh, Ritalin, the, the methamphetamine realm. They call it uh, methylphenidate, PMP, which is definitely uh, chemically related to PCP, which is the angel dust. So, yeah, in, in terms of uh, psychiatric drugs affecting the mind, there's definitely right. a history. There's also CIA, you know, experimentation into psychopharmacology. Right that plays itself out in modern psychiatry, and it's been standardized to the point where we go, oh, yeah, yeah, they're doing science. No, they're not. They're doing experiments on you. Yeah, the PCP 
is all, all antidepressants, with I believe the exception of Wellbuterin, all antidepressants fall underneath that category. They're, they come from the original PCP. It's a derivative of that chemical, which causes a lot of hallucinogens. And historically, you can go back and look at the one time in history when they were about to pull Prozac off the market. There was some talk about that because there was a lot of what they called breakthrough suicide. And I think we've covered this before on the shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the breakthrough suicide uh, reason that they were going to pull Prozac off was then negated. That, But the, it really wasn't breakthrough suicide. The mechanism of action of all those suicides was the same. But they weren't actually committing suicide. They were hallucinating. They were jumping up buildings thinking they could fly. Because if you're going to have breakthrough suicides, then you would expect there to be various types of mechanisms that people enacted to, to commit the suicide, you know, whether they hung themselves or did whatever. Every one of these so-called breakthrough suicide attempts were all jumping from high buildings. So that was, again, comes back into that PCP hallucinating, thinking you could fly, that aspect. And so mm-hmm. any drug that's going to cause a hallucination, and remember, these are drugs that are antidepressants. They are supposed to be against depressing, against the issue of a person becoming depressed. So if it's an antidepressant, anti-against depressant, you know, you're, you're down. If it's supposed to keep you from being down, then don't you think that there are other things that people can do that are less damaging than causing hallucinations to make you think like you're not down? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, alcohol or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, just you know, drug yourself. Yeah, drug yourself, alter your chemistry in a horrible way. Side effects could be worse than the original suffering. Uh, and that's allopathic medicine. You know, that's what we cover here in a different way with Dr. Rachid Bittar each and every week as we go to Advanced Medicine. And MedicalRewind.com if you miss it. Can you tell them what we got to tell them? Before I say, power to heal is yours. Remember remember Ty's story. Yes, that's right. We're going to be back next week and tomorrow. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.